As I mentioned just a moment ago, we are in Acts chapter 27, so if you want to join me there, we are going to continue walking through Acts and started, I think it was the first Sunday in February in Acts chapter 1, and next Sunday we will be wrapping up, walking this incredible book of the Bible, so Acts 27, and I want you to think back to where you were in September of 2017. Uh, So about four years ago to right about now, um, my family and I, many of y'all know, we were living in Florida at the time and um, just kind of like, you know, as there are maybe tornadic tornadic seasons, there are hurricane seasons and there are times of the year where uh, storms are more likely to occur than perhaps other times. And, And so in September 2017, we were living down there and it was hurricane season. And uh, I remember uh, early on in that particular week, somebody beginning to say, hey, have you seen what's going on on the weather? And I'm like, no, what's going on? And so what what was happening was Hurricane Irma. Uh, Perhaps you might remember that name. I actually think the effects of Irma were felt up here uh, from what I remember. I think I talked to several folks on the phone. But with that, uh, we're watching. and, And as you're watching that, maybe you've seen kind of what they'll say on the Weather Channel, but they'll say, you know, you got this cone of uncertainty is what they call it. And, and so it's kind of like it could go this way, it could go this way. And they kind of draw this picture of like, if you're anywhere between this side and this side of the cone, you know, it could, it could affect you. And so uh, over the days, and some of those days felt like weeks as we were watching this thing just getting closer and closer Irma was making its way, it barreled through the Caribbean and it was headed straight for Florida and actually headed straight for uh, where we were living. And that cone of uncertainty now was very much a cone of certainty. Like this, this storm is, is coming for us. And, and so just like any other individual or family at that moment, we had a decision to make. And the decision was, do you pack up and do you, do you hit the road and do you travel north or do you, do you stay? Do you kind of buckle down and, and ride it out? And we made a decision to buckle down and, and ride it out. And so as we were kind of, it was over a Sunday into Monday. And so we canceled in-person services on that day because people were getting ready. They were boarding up their homes. Some were hitting the road. And uh, we actually had service on Facebook Live on that, on that night. And it was a as, as weird as it was, it was actually a really sweet moment just as a church to kind of walk through that together, uh, even online. And uh, as night fell and we could see that we were continuing to, to be in the path of this storm, um, we put the kids, two of our kids, we put in the laundry room, two of the kids we put in the hallway. And my wife and I, we just sat in the living room and we just watched the news as, as, as long as we could till about one in the morning and then we lost power. And up to that moment, we just see the, the eye continue to make its way literally over our home. And so we lost power and all we heard was the, the ravaging winds and they were just picking up. I was talking to my oldest son last night. I was like, Elijah, do you remember that? Do you remember like what that was like? He was like, dad, he's like, all I remember, it was just really, really loud. And uh, it was really, really loud. Matter of fact, um, the hurricane, literally the eye of the hurricane went over our home. Uh, The ravaging winds followed by complete silence. And then the backside of the storm came through. 
And I'll be honest, I mean, I was trying to put up a strong front for my lovely bride and for my kids, but, but in my heart, I was, there was some anxiety there. And storms have a way to do that, whether it's physical storms or whether it is what we call a, a, a life storm, a storm of life. And how these storms have a way of testing us. And not only do they test us, but they can shape us. I found myself there in the living room. We were kind of hoping, trusting, waiting, believing, and, and just the range of emotions, not knowing what is going to come. And in today's text, we are in a storm. We are in a storm. And what happens is God not only allows storms, but he desires to use them in ways that are at times far above anything we could ever think or imagine. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And here's what James says over in James 1, verses 2 and 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. In other words, there is a refining of our faith that happens and is produced in a storm that can come no other way. And so what we are going to see is God working in the midst of a storm. But again, in the midst of storms and uncertainty, God's purposes will always prevail and his gospel will always advance. We're in a storm. Acts 27 into 28, the whole chapter and into verse 16 of 28 is a storm. And it's not just an isolated shower. It's literally storm season. Where we're reading, this is the time where you do not want to be on the water, but it is exactly where Paul is as he is continuing to head to Rome. Paul always wanted to go to Rome. He said back in Acts 19, after the riot in Ephesus, he said that the Bible says that Paul resolved in his spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. I got to go to Rome. Now I want to stop just a moment and just say this. I'm thinking that Paul had an idea in his head of how he would get to Rome. And I think his idea of how he would get to Rome and what actually happens for him to get to Rome look way different. They look way different. Because when Paul was wrapping up his third missionary journey and he went to Jerusalem, while he was there, the religious mob saw him. They seized him. They tried to kill him. The, Rome, the Roman official stepped in and seized Peter, brought him into protective custody. And it was while he was in the barracks in Jerusalem that Jesus showed up in the barrack. And here's what he said in Acts 23, 11. Jesus says, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. All Paul could see is four corners or four sides of a barrack. But yet God was working in and around and through that in a way that Paul could have never understood, could have never realized and I think it's worth mentioning to if we were to go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and we were to read our Bibles there where we started at the start of the year, what we would see is the words in red where Jesus says, and my spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. And that has been the outline of the book of Acts. 
the gospel in Jerusalem, and through the instrument of persecution, the gospel pushes outside into Judea and into Samaria. And now where's the gospel going? To the ends of the earth. And I love this, just like God said it would. Just like he said it would. And so Paul makes it there to Jerusalem. He's under protective custody. The Roman leader at the, point, at the moment is like, okay, I got to get Paul out of here. And so what does he do? He gets 470 armed men to take Paul from Jerusalem to what's called Caesarea. It's on the sea. It was the Roman kind of outpost there. It's where the governors lived. And there Paul would spend the next two years of his life as a prisoner. Two years and three trials. He stands before Governor Felix. He stands before Governor Festus. He stands before King Agrippa. And Paul, obviously not trusting the Jewish uh, law system there, he appeals to Caesar, which a Roman citizen had the ability to do. And so what happens? They grant him his desire. And so now Paul is going to Rome. He's not going as a free man, as a missionary, as he thought he would. He's actually going as a prisoner. But remember, through it all, God's purposes will prevail. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. The Bible says this, and when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Now, this is kind of wild, okay? Like if you're a prisoner, you don't typically get to bring friends along. Like if you're a prisoner and you're going to Rome, like you don't really have a lot to say. But, but here's what I see happening in this text is that we are seeing the grace of God and the favor of God working in an, really an unexplainable way. I mean, for a Roman guard to release a prisoner, if, if something goes rogue, if that guy goes rogue or that lady goes rogue and it gets weird and they don't come back, that, that Roman leader will face the judgment that would have gone on that prisoner. But yet, all I can kind of put together is that there was a favor that Paul had with this Roman centurion. I mean, he was a leader of hundreds. This guy was a leader of leaders. Like he works with people day in, day out. He can perhaps sense integrity and character when he sees it. And so there was a trust that Paul had. And so when Paul gets to Sidon, which was just a little bit north of Caesarea before they start heading across the Mediterranean, he says, hey, go spend some time with your church friends. Let them care for you. We're gonna be going out, but you can come back with us. And I just love the providence of God. I love the grace of God. And it is interesting is that when you see Roman centurions in the New Testament, it's interesting. You see Jesus talking with a centurion and this centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, can you please bring healing to my servant? And Jesus is going to go to his house. And the centurion says, no, 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 I'm not worthy for you to be in my house. All you have to do is say the word and they'll be healed. He's like, I'm a leader. When I give a word, my people follow. All you have to do is say the word and and my servant will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus was amazed at the centurion's faith. If you look at the cross of Jesus in Matthew 27, 28, 
as Christ is breathing his last breath, a Roman centurion looks at Jesus and here's what he says. He was in awe. Surely this is the son of God. Not only that, Acts chapter 10, Caesarea, Peter goes to share the gospel there. He shares with a guy by the name of Cornelius. What is Cornelius? A Roman centurion. And so perhaps this Roman centurion, his heart is sensitive to the things of God. His heart is sensitive to God at work. But I just think that's amazing, just the providence and favor of God. Verse 4, the Bible says, And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, and we came to Myra and Lycia, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy. And he put us on board, and we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete of Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place, and remember this, called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. So what, what's going on here? What is the fast? The fast is speaking there to what's known as the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the Jewish people would would specifically and intentionally fast on this day. And this would happen at a certain time of the year, which would have been around mid to late October, which happens to be the start of storm season. And so that's why I say when the fast had ended, what does that mean? That's because of the season they're in, the storm threat is rising and it's rising to a dangerous place. And in verse nine, Paul speaks up and he says this, Paul advised them, here's the prisoner Paul, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there and on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. They would have been so wise if they would have just listened to Paul. Paul is the voice of truth in this story. He's the voice of God's wisdom in this story. Wisdom of God is speaking into the situation and saying, red flag, red flag, don't go. Stay here in fair haven. Paul was, this was not his first rodeo on the waters. It says over in 2 Corinthians 11, he writes to the Corinthians, he said, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked and a night and a day I was adrift at sea. But Paul speaks up and the Roman centurion, though there may be favor on Paul's life, he's still a prisoner. And so what does the centurion do? He says, like, let's get the pilot together and, 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 and I'm the leader here and let's get, let's get management here involved. And, and what they say is let's not stay in Fairhope or excuse me, Fairhaven. So what is Fairhaven? All we know is that Fairhaven was a sleepy little town. Nothing to do there. Ever been to one of those small Mississippi towns? Maybe you grew up in one, just, you know, kind of sleepy, not a whole lot going on. Well, that was 
fair haven. And, and for Paul, wisdom says, stay. Don't go, not worth it. Storm season, red flags. But what they say is, who wants to stay in Fairhaven? Let's go to Phoenix. You know, like not Phoenix, Arizona, but Phoenix Crete. Like if we can just get there, man, there's so much more to do. And let's winter there because like the flesh wants to go there. And so not only does the pilot want to go there and the Roman centurion wants to go there and the owner wants to go there. The Bible says, listen to this, the majority want to go there. And do you hear it? Do you hear the struggle they have in that moment? And that is this, is do you listen to the voice of wisdom? And do you listen to the Spirit of God speaking truth into this decision-making process, but instead they refuse to listen to the voice of truth and they decide to go with the majority and what their flesh desire in that moment. And it is going to lead down a destructive path to which I would just simply call a timeout and for us to be encouraged that you may find yourself making significant major decisions in your life and that there is a reality at play that who am I going to listen to? Who is the most important voice in my life? And that in the midst of this season, they choose to refuse to listen to the truth of God and decide to go where their flesh wants to go. And there will be a price that comes with it. If you track with the rest of this passage, you will see this storm has settled in. It is months and months worth. And so I want to give just kind of a paraphrase of a few of those kind of clues that let us know what's going on. But before I jump too quick, I do want to just bring attention to whose voice do you listen to? Who is the most valuable voice in your life? Is it a well-meaning friend? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker? Is it a student? Is it a group of people that you long to be able to get into their circle? And so what's it going to take? And so I'm going to do what it takes to get into that circle. Is it your social media feed? As we get inundated with, with how everybody else's world is perfect and ours isn't. And, and so if I can just kind of like have more pictures like they have, then it's going to make everything just way, way better. But the encouragement is, is that the loudest, clearest, most important voice that we can hear, and I mentioned it earlier, is the voice of God through his word. May we listen to his word. And so what happens? It's storm season and they don't listen. And I'm just going to paraphrase 27 verse 4, the winds were against us. 27 verse 7, we sailed slowly in difficulty and the wind did not allow us to go any further. Verse 8, they coasted along with difficulty. Verse 9, the voyage was now dangerous. Verse 14, a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down. Verse 15, the ship was caught, could not face the wind, and we gave way to it and were driven along. What's that saying? That is saying they got out there and they lost complete control of the boat. They were at the wind and the waves' mercy. Verse 16, difficulty. Verse 18, violently storm tossed and began to jettison the cargo. In other words, just throwing stuff off board, just trying to maintain some order in the situation and get some stability. Verse 19, now they're throwing the tackle overboard. And I want us to go together to the verse 20. 
where the Bible says this, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now think about this for a moment. And perhaps you can relate to what they are feeling here. Because what they are feeling is that they are in a season of storm. And not only that, but they feel, and maybe you feel like you haven't seen the sun in days. Like it just feels like you're walking through a cloud. It looks like you're walking through a storm. You just long to see that beautiful sunshine in our life like we're seeing right now, right outside. You may feel like there is no hope. But the encouragement for the believer is there is always hope. There's always hope. Look at verse 21. It says, since we had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. This is what none of us like to hear, right? I told you so. <laughs> Who loves to hear that? Like nobody has to tell us that, do we? We know when we mess up. We know when we miss it. And, and absolutely, like these guys absolutely knew they shut down Paul's voice of truth in that moment. They knew that they um, failed in their fleshly attempt to get where they wanted to go and all of this along the way. And Paul is saying, and I believe it's in grace and truth. I don't believe it's snarky in any way. I believe what he's saying and I believe what we would all do well to heed is what he is saying is you should have listened. You should have listened. You should have listened. A few moments ago, they were addressing going God's way or the world's way and they chose the world's way and look at where it led them. But here's what I love about the grace of God. Here is another opportunity to respond in the right way. Truth is truth. Consequences are consequences, but praise God for his grace because his grace is more than enough to lead us, guide us, and move us forward. And what we see in this text, and I love it, there's still time to obey. Like Paul is, Paul is coming back around. You should have listened. But hey, guess what? You got another chance. God is a God of second chances, isn't he? Amen? Second chances? I know for me, third chances? Fourth chances? Five Fifth chances, sixth chances, like we're not promised all those chances, but as long as we have breath, we have an opportunity to walk in obedience to what God has called and showed us that we should do. To which I would say, if you are, if you are walking through a scenario and the Holy Spirit of God is waving red flags and saying, don't do it, it's not worth it, like here is the way that honors me. Here is God's way that, that the Holy Spirit is saying, here's another opportunity. Here's another opportunity. It's never too late to do the right thing. And I love what Paul does. Paul is going to use the same language that Christ spoke to him in the barrack. When he says this, he says, take heart. Take heart. Take courage. Verse 22, the Bible says, yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. 
And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So here it is again. Take heart, men, for I have faith in God and that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. To which here's the word. Cheer up. Cheer up. That's what that word take heart, take courage. It means to cheer up. And what we see is we see a threefold confession for all of us as believers. It's three confessions for a Christian in the storm. So maybe you're there. Or maybe you're headed into one or maybe you're on your way out. But here are three confessions, not in the sense of like, hey, here's where I messed up and here's, here's my mess ups. Not, not in the sense of that confession, but rather a confession of this is my statement of faith. This is what I believe in my heart. And Paul is going to guide us in three significant confessions. The first is a confession of relationship. He says in verse 23, he says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom, and listen to this, to whom I belong and whom I worship. The confession of the Christian in the storm is first a confession of relationship. And that is that I know I am his. I know I'm his. What a great peace and rest that comes in knowing that I am his. I belong to him. I believe with all of my heart there is nothing that can get to me that doesn't go through him. That I'm his and he is mine. I believe as the scriptures say as a believer... No one can snatch me out of his hand, the security of the believer. And so the encouragement in the storm is this. I know I am his. And my encouragement to you is that you would answer that question. Do you belong to him? Do you belong to him? And I'm not asking like even the centurion. I'm not asking if you fear God. I'm not asking if you know a lot of facts about the Bible not asking if you have an acknowledgement of God, not, having, not even that you respect God. I'm asking, do you belong to Him? Like, have you made the transition from a creation of God to a child of God? Because there is a difference. One is the, the domain of darkness as the Bible teaches in Colossians. The other is the kingdom of His beloved Son. And that the Bible teaches us how God has made a way for us to transition from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's Son. And so how does that happen? It happens because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It happens because He lived a perfect life we could never live. It happened because He was crucified on a cross and bore the wrath of a holy God for our sin, for our behalf. Died at death, we should have died, was placed in a borrowed tomb and he rose on the third day proving he alone has power to forgive sin and to give salvation. And so the question is, do you belong to him? Has there been that time? Has there been that place where you've made that most important decision? And so that is the confession. That is where I get my greatest comfort. I am his. I'm his. A second confession is a confession of purpose. Paul says in verse 24, he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. I love it. Don't be afraid, Paul. Why? Because you must stand before Caesar. In other words, Paul, I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for your life. 
I told you in that barrack, remember? I told you. You've testified here, you're going to testify in Rome. I told you, like, you're, this is going to happen. You can trust me. I have a purpose for your life. And Paul's desire was to fulfill that purpose that God has for his life, to which I would say for every single one of us who have been rescued by God's grace, I want you to, like, let's, let's rest in this for a moment. God has a mission and a purpose for your life. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of where you're at, regardless of why, like, Life's not seeming to work like it should work right now. The reality is is that God has a purpose for your life. Paul had it wrapped up for us. He told us when he wrote the Ephesians, he said, listen, you are Christ's workmanship. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that you would walk in them. He's got a purpose for your life. And the confession of the believer in the storm is, this storm is nuts. It's crazy. There's wild stuff happening. But I know who I belong to. And I know I have a purpose. And I've said it before and I believe it. There is absolutely nothing this world can do to me until, until I know that I have accomplished the purpose for which God has called me to do. And so I have a rest knowing that there is absolutely nothing that can thwart the plan of God. And I love that. So I have, I know I belong to, I know I have a purpose And then a third confession is a confession of faith. And that is, I believe in you. And sometimes we have to say it out loud, don't we? (laughs) I believe in you. God, I believe in you. It's hard to see right now. It's hard to see. I haven't seen the sun in days. I don't know how I'm going to make it to Rome because I'm on this boat. I don't even know where we are right now. (laughs) But I know I'm going to get there because you told me I was. Because that was your promise. And so I believe in you. He says in verse 25, take heart, take heart men, for I have faith in God that I will be exactly, that it will be exactly as I have been told. And so for Paul, I think deep down in his heart, he knew it was all going to be okay because God is all present. And he knew it was going to all be okay because God is all knowing. And he knew it was okay because God knows that Paul knows God cares. Because God knows he's all powerful, that all his purposes will prevail, that nothing will stop the gospel from moving forward. And so I can stop and I can breathe and I can know it's going to be okay. It's not going to be easy. There is no promise for that. But there is no greater joy than walking in the fullness of a relationship with King Jesus. There's no greater joy. And there's no safer place than living in the center of his will for your life. So being a believer, and we could all testify, if we set mics out there in the, on the, in, you know, in the sanctuary and said, hey, testify about how easy life has been for you. <laughs> You're not going to get many testimonies. What you'll hear is joy in the midst of the storm. Because you want to know what happens, and I'm just going to summarize. From here, they still get shipwrecked. From here, they all find themselves in the water, say, like floating to land. There's actually the Roman, the Roman leadership got together and said, hey, I got an idea. Let's kill all the prisoners. Like there was another death threat on Paul's life. But the Roman centurion was like, no, you're not messing with Paul. You're not going to mess with this man. We're going to listen to what this man has to say. More death threats, shipwreck, ended up staying a whole winter in Malta. Don't know if Paul had ever been to Malta before. That's He's even at Malta. And the Bible says 
They were very kind to them. They had unusual hospitality, the Bible says. While they're like preparing a fire, you know what happens to Paul? A viper bites him. (laughs) And the Bible says a viper bit him. And even the the people, the natives on the land are looking at that and they're like, oh, he must have done something really, really bad to have a viper bite him. And then the viper like gets, he slings it off, I guess is what it looks like. And then they notice he doesn't swell and there's no big problem. They're like, oh, well, then you must be a God. (laughs) You know, they kind of go from you're a murderer to you're a God. and, And so like life isn't easy. Life isn't easy, but yet God works in and through Paul's life. The Bible says brought many miracles on that place. But here's what I love, is that by the, by the mid part of chapter 28, guess where they're at? They're in Rome. Exactly where God told them they were going to be. Through the storm, they made it. They heeded God's voice. They heeded God's direction. They responded to His truth. They had a front row to God's faithfulness every step of the way. And the Bible tells us 276 people that were on that boat made it to Rome. Because God is faithful to fulfill his purposes and nothing can stop his purposes. And so as I wrap up, I pray that that stays with us. I pray it stays with us because... As it's been said, and I've shared it, perhaps you're in a storm. Perhaps you're heading out of a storm, which is the place we all like to live, work, and play, right? Perhaps you're headed into a storm. But in the midst of storm and uncertainty, God's promises always prevail. His purposes always prevail, and the gospel always moves forward. And so it could be that you are here, and you are, if it were known, you would say, I am completely completely overwhelmed. I'm completely overwhelmed. You feel like maybe you haven't seen the sun in days. You can relate to Paul and the people in the boat, but yet the encouragement, maybe even feel like, like a lack of hope. But the reality is, is whose voice is the loudest in your life? And the encouragement is, is that we would yield our heart and our ear to the voice of God in our lives. I, I don't know how many, any, just curious, any history buffs in the room? Love some history? I see that hand. All right, there's one. Okay. I think there might be more. All right. But uh, President Abraham Lincoln, um, if you've ever done any kind of study on his life, I mean, just, it's, it's, it's amazing what he led through. He led through. He didn't lead around it. He led through it. But his Bible was recovered after he passed. And as you look through his Bible, it's said that if you go to Psalm 34, verse 4, you would find a thumb indentation beside that verse. Abraham's thumb indentation in that verse, like even like a little blur to it. And the the picture is, and it's been said that the thumbprint came through pressure and faith. And here's what the Bible says in Psalm 34, 4. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. And it is this encouragement that as we cling to the voice of God, that that is the loudest voice that we hear, that God brings grace and hope through his word.
It could be that today is a, is a renewal of commitment to His voice. I say His voice because this is, this is, thus saith the Lord, this is His Word. And so it could be that we have all the right intentions in the world and life is busy. And let me just say, grace abounds. But by His grace, we will not make it through the storm with the peace and joy that are available to us if our hearts aren't tethered to this book and to His voice, and to His Word. And so maybe it's a, a commitment of renewal to His Word. That perhaps it's remembering who you belong to. You're His. You're His. Perhaps it's an encouragement that you have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a mission. Perhaps it is the encouragement to say, I believe in you because I can believe in you. And so we rest in him, but it could also be that you may be here today and maybe you relate more with the centurion in the story. Because the centurion, my hunch is, is, that, is that, that Paul had a favor with him. Obviously, he said, hey, go hang out with your friends and let them care for you. And then we're going to be going in a few days. I mean, that's, that's pretty wild right there. But, but, but as we've seen, even other centurions in the word, like, Maybe there's an, an awareness of God. There's an interest in God. There's a belief in God. There's a, uh, a you know, a, a, like even a respect for God. But yet, when, when we ask the question, do you belong to him? Perhaps there is not a sure answer that you can give. And the encouragement is this. What was Paul taking to Rome? He was taking the gospel to Rome. What is this gospel? This gospel is that God loves you. This gospel is that God demonstrates his love toward you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This gospel is the fact that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This gospel is the fact that God loved you so much that even though you could never be good enough, earn your way enough, or like let your good outweigh your bad enough to be rescued from your sin. You, you set our sin against the backdrop of the holiness of God there's no chance. And so God made a way where there was no way. And he lived a perfect life. I mentioned it just a few moments ago. For who? For you. Why? Because somebody had to. Because we couldn't. And so God took, God took our shame. He took our sin. And he took, I love this word. He took the wrath of a holy God on himself for us. And they took his body and they put him in a tomb. And it was a borrowed tomb for a reason. Because on the third day, he resurrected from the dead. Proving he had power to forgive sin. Power to give peace in relationship between man and God. And peace to have relationship with him forever and ever and ever. And so I would just say today, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, God's purposes will prevail his gospel will advance and he desires you to belong to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this testimony of Paul. And God, I, I have a tendency to want to make this story about Paul. And I have a tendency to want to you know, like talk about how amazing Paul is. And, and he is, he, he absolutely is the greatest missionary who's ever lived. But this story is not about Paul. The story is about you. The story is about your love for a world that you created and made for a relationship with you. This 
story is about your faithfulness. This story is about how your gospel is for all people, not just people in Jerusalem, not just people in Judea, not just people in Samaria, but for all people to the ends of the earth. And so, God, may we be encouraged in that today. And I pray, God, that you would find our hearts sensitive and hungry and yielded to respond to however you would lead in our lives. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me and uh, we're going to have a time of what we, what we call response. But uh, it could be that the Holy Spirit, it could be that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart. It could be that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. It could be that you may be feel led to, to come and to pray at this altar. It could be that you feel led to come and pray with one of our pastors just to have somebody to pray over you. It could be that, that, that you make your chair right there an altar. But the key is, let's not, let's not miss the opportunity, okay? I'm not... Like, let's not just miss the opportunity. Let's not be like, God, I hear you. I hear your truth, but I want to do this. That's what they did. That's what they did in Fairhaven. Like, God, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. But I'm going here. Listen, Jesus came that we may have life and have life to the full. So just that we would respond however the Lord would lead us. For his glory and for his mission.